Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Monday, and we are posting an instant classic for your inspiration. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. I'd like you to turn with me to the book of uh, 1 Kings chapter 3. Appreciate uh, that message uh, and uh, looking forward to great, great things the rest of the conference We had a great uh, session on Tuesday. Uh, Pastor Mitchell got inspired uh, to have a session on uh, pastoral counseling, and he called it Butchers or Surgeons. And uh, what was so great about the session was not anything that I had to uh, uh, say, but we uh, opened it up for questions and just listening to the uh, questions that pastors have concerning some of the specific counseling situations that they're going through, and then watching Pastor Mitchell without batting an eye, without hesitation, and I'm sitting there thinking, hmm, I wonder how he's going to answer this one. I wonder, and immediately comes with tremendous wisdom and skill, and I am sure that whoever was at that session, some of those answers are going to save you a lot of trouble and may even save your Uh, life in the future. I want to preach a sermon on the same subject this morning on uh, overcoming the pitfalls of pastoral counseling, and I don't want that title to make it sound like I'm some kind of expert, uh, because I have uh, the sessions from hell like everybody does, uh, where I say, all right, let's pray about it. They leave the office, I pick up the phone and call Pastor Warner, Pastor Mitchell, Pastor Ruby, uh, and try to get some kind of a handle on how I'm going to deal with this. But I do want to take this uh, uh, from a little bit of a different angle, and I think that uh, this can be very helpful to everyone here today. 1 Kings chapter 3. Some of you remember, I'm sure, uh, the old television show Dragnet. And there was a character, a very deadpan, some people say that I have a sort of a deadpan personality, so maybe it's uh, appropriate that I use this illustration uh, 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 But but Sergeant Friday was the lead character, uh, uh, the lead investigator for uh, various crimes, murders, and drug dealing, and various things that would take place. Uh, And uh, almost in every show, uh, he would always say the famous line, just the facts, ma'am. Because some woman who had been traumatized by a crime would start babbling on and, uh, and uh, emotional and uh, carrying on, giving all sorts of information that was unnecessary. And he would uh, say this to her, ma'am, just the facts. One of the challenges of pastoring that is very frustrating and can be very time-consuming and very emotionally draining, and one that we can feel very unequipped for. We feel great when we're preaching. We feel like we have authority and power and dominion, but let a pastor go into his office and hear some incredible scenario, and he is reduced to a level of uncertainty, sometimes insanity and exasperation that he has never experienced in his life. 
just trying to get to the truth. Just trying to get yourself in a position where you can address a need in the context of pastoral counseling can be so very frustrating. And people view their pastor as a source of answer for every problem of life. They will approach a 21-year-old pioneer pastor whose wife is pregnant and they will ask them advice about their rebellious teenage daughters. His life experience uh, up until that point has not equipped him. Doesn't mean that he can't, and that's what I'm going to get to here. But uh, 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 these problems come and we feel unequipped. We don't have the life experience. We've never heard this before. Everything from marriage to finances to raising children to resolving conflicts, and the list goes on and on. And this certainly is an area where we can be very helpful and give necessary guidance, but it is also an arena that is fraught with all pitfalls and many dangers, and it is an area where pastors make unnecessary mistakes and can make some serious blunders, and it does require, as does preaching, It requires some of the highest levels of spiritual skill, pastoral gifting and ability and equipping uh, in order to successfully navigate your way through sometimes the mire and the muddy waters and the unsettled circumstance uh, of trying to help people in a counseling session uh, and bring a truth to bear on their circumstance. I want to preach a sermon this morning called Just the Facts, Ma'am. Overcoming the pitfalls of pastoral counseling from a great text in the Bible, 1 Kings chapter 3. And I'm going to jump around in the chapter a little bit, uh, but follow along with me, beginning in verse 5. The Bible says, At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? And skip down to verse uh, 9. Therefore, Solomon answered the Lord, Therefore, uh, give to your servant uh, an understanding heart to judge your people, uh, that I may discern between good and evil. uh, For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Uh, And the speech pleased the Lord uh, that Saul had asked this thing. And then skip down to verse 16. Now two women who were harlots came to the king uh, and stood before him. And that right there tells you this is going to be a doozy of a counseling session. And one of the women said, Oh, my Lord, this woman, and I dwell in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house. And then it happened the third day after I had given birth that this woman also gave birth, and we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And so she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him on her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I arose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had born. Then the other woman said, no, but the living one is my son and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, no, but the dead one is your son and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. And the king said, the one says, this is my son who lives and your son is the dead one. And the other says, no, but your son is the dead one and my son is the living. Then the king said, bring me a sword. 
So they brought, you never thought that a sword would be a piece of counseling equipment. So they brought a sword before the king, and the king said, Divide the living child in two, give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king and said, uh, spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son. And she said, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means kill him. But the other said, Let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. She is the mother, and all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. I want to first of all say this morning that pastoral counseling is a legitimate and a necessary facet of ministry. Having said that, we all know as preachers and members of a great fellowship that the centerpiece and the primary function of our ministry is the preaching of the Word of God. If you, pastor, will get the mind of God for every service, and if you will preach a word in due season, how many know that the vast majority of issues in people's lives will be addressed and will be ministered to? There is an altar there, and we encourage people to come to every service, to answer altar calls, and to live a life of repentance, that when you come to church, your heart should be saying, God, I want you to speak to my life today. I am coming today. I don't know what's going to be preached, but I'm going to answer the altar call. I'm going to open my heart. God, make adjustments. Give me guidance and give me direction. Pastor Warner has always said that if you teach your people to be in every service and answer altar calls and hear the Word of God, the vast majority of issues in their lives will be addressed and will be dealt with. The Apostle Paul reinforces this to his son in the faith, Timothy, and says, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out. Convince, exhort, rebuke with all longsuffering and teaching. And so the pulpit is the primary means by which we do all of the above. And if you will do your job and preach, people will do their part and come. God will help them. Quite often I've had the experience, and I know that you have too. Someone comes before church and says, Pastor, I'm in a real pickle. I need to talk to you immediately after service. And so you say, okay, meet me at the altar. And quite often they will come at the end and they'll say, Pastor, I don't need to talk to you anymore. God spoke to me during church and I know exactly what to do. If people will come and hear sermons like Pastor Foley preached yesterday on deliverance, how many know a vast majority of issues will be dealt with? And if you as a pastor will do what Pastor Ruby uh, reinforced yesterday, if you'll preach to your people uh, with a heart to serve them, uh, to minister to them, uh, to take care of them uh, by preaching the Word of God, uh, then they will be a healthy uh, uh, people. However, having said all that, there is a valid and there is a legitimate need to offer people in uh, uh, some cases uh, counseling apart. Uh, from what we do behind the pulpit. 
in the text, the Bible says, uh, uh, God had said, uh, what shall I give you? And Solomon responds and says, give to your servant uh, an understanding heart uh, to judge your people uh, that I may discern between good and evil uh, for who is able to judge this great people of yours. And the Bible says that this request uh, or this uh, response uh, pleased the Lord. God was very pleased with this. And what an amazing offer this was. It is the stuff of fantasy. And even God expected Solomon to be somewhat selfish with his request. This is why God was so pleased because Solomon does the unexpected, and God said, because you have asked this, and you have not asked for long life, for riches, or for the life of your enemies, it would have been acceptable to God for him to ask those things, and God would have responded as he promised, but Solomon said, I want an understanding heart, I want to be able to minister to people, and what Solomon is asking for was actually a dominant feature of the king's role, the king's responsibility, and the king's ministry. People would come to the king for help, for answers, for direction, for resolution in conflicts and lawsuits. And it was part of his office, and it was a provision that God had made. People are going to have difficulty in life. They are going to face issues that they are not going to be able to resolve themselves. They need somebody to go to. And so in some cases, it was the king that they would go to. Uh, this is the very place where Absalom fomented his rebellion against David. The Bible says, uh, Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. Uh, so it was whenever anyone had a lawsuit uh, and came to the king for a decision uh, that Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made a judge uh, in the land, and everyone who has a suit or cause would come to me uh, that I would give him justice. And so this was a function and a normal procedure because there was a recognition by God that at critical times, at certain watershed moments in people's lives, they needed assistance outside themselves. They needed guidance and they needed special care. God also equipped the prophets for this function. In Zechariah, the Bible says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice, show mercy and compassion to everyone his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. The word there, the phrase, to execute true justice means to make a judgment. It is referring to the action or the act of deciding a case, and it refers to the process or the procedure for rendering a decision about a complexity or a difficulty or a problem. Proverbs reinforces forces this and says, uh, where there is no counsel, uh, the people fall, but the multitude of counselors uh, provides a place of safety. The word counsel there means literally good advice. Again in Proverbs, uh, listen to counsel uh, and receive instruction uh, that you may be wise in your latter days. And when this is not happening, when there is no provision made, when people have difficulties in their life, God gets very upset about this. In the book of Micah, the uh, minor prophet Micah, 
God uh, 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 begins to speak judgment against the uh, prophets and says, Now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who abhor justice and pervert iniquity. Her heads judge for a bribe, her priests teach for pay, and her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? No harm can come to us. And it is becoming more apparent to me that how we function in our fellowship as pastors in the context of being available to offer counsel to people is becoming very unique in the world that we live in. I've heard incidences in our own city where people that are attending the local charismatic church will go to the pastor or try to go to the pastor for counseling and it is simply not something that the uh, pastor personally does. Uh, and in some cases, in one case I know of, uh, uh, the pastor uh, or one of the staff members will provide uh, the person who needs help with a business card uh, of a local Christian counselor uh, that you can make an appointment with uh, and pay whatever money they require you to pay uh, in order to get uh, their advice. We have an incident of a family in our church who has a sister that attends a church uh, in another city, another fellowship, not one of our own churches, uh, marriage falling apart, uh, incredible trauma that this woman is going uh, through, uh, and for her to get uh, counseling uh, from her pastor, one of the staff members, uh, is going to cost her $50 an hour. Now picture this. Uh, this woman needs help. This woman is desperate. She needs answers. There's small children involved. She needs somebody with authority who can speak to her the mind of God to talk to. And the response is, yes, we will do that for $50 an hour. Now, there are reasons why counseling is necessary and is a valid part of our ministry. One is that people are vulnerable. The Bible refers to, as I read in the book uh, from the verse in Zechariah, that particularly the widow, the single mother, the fatherless, the alien, and the poor, uh, it is referring to those people as particularly vulnerable. uh, And because of their station in life, uh, there are going to be occasions uh, where they're going to need oversight and help. Uh, They don't have husbands. They don't have fathers. uh, They don't have resources. uh, And so because of their station in life, uh, they are going to need special care uh, and special help. The other reason why there's a need for counseling is that not everyone is in every service. That may not be the case in your church, but in most places we preach faithfulness, be in every service, but there's always going to be the Sunday morning crowd or the person who comes once or twice a week, and it just so happens that when they come for counseling... They ask a question about what you just preached at the service they missed. But how many know that is life? And they still need a word, they still need help, they still need an answer, and they still need counsel. And the third reason is that life is complex, life is confusing, life can be unfair, life can be brutal. And I've seen the most stable, faithful, long-term members of the church get traumatized by a surprise attack or an ambush. And they need help, and they need perspective, and they need guidance. People get victimized 
in life, traumatized by upheaval. Uh, people experience setbacks and failure and loss. Uh, and as I said, while uh, just coming to church and hearing the Word of God uh, can resolve, uh, there are occasions where pastoral counseling uh, is necessary. And Solomon in our text is admitting inadequacy in this area. He must have absolutely been beside himself as he is there sitting on the throne in the king's chamber. Case after case is coming his way. He's listening to their problems and he has not a clue how to answer them. And he goes to bed in fits of anguish, rehearsing all the problems and all the trauma. And so this is the setting of God's question. And so when God comes and says, Solomon, uh, what can I do for you? It may have been after a day of particularly a high level of frustration. He's confused, has no way of bringing an answer. And the Bible says that his response was, O Lord, you have made your servant a king instead of my father David, but I am a little child, and I don't know how to go in or to come out. He's confessing uh, his inability, his inadequacy, uh, and listening to people's problems. Uh, Here he is, a king with a crown, with resources, with power, uh, with authority. He leads army. Uh, He's been valiant. Uh, He's God's man, Uh, but counseling has reduced him to a babbling staggering, ignorant child that doesn't know what on earth he's doing. Therefore, give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this people of yours? Who can do this, God, unless you help us? I want to talk with you secondly about some of the pitfalls of pastoral counseling. It would be very, very nice if pastoral counseling was nice people with a good, honest heart who could articulate their problem in two minutes or less. And there was always a very clear biblical answer for whatever their dilemma was, and they stand up at the end of this brief session uh, and uh, 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 shake your hand uh, and say, Pastor, I want to thank you so very much. Uh, You've saved my life yet again. But how many know the real world is not like this? I read a story, I think this was in USA Today some time ago, it was a while ago, but it caught my attention because it involved a uh, married couple who had gone to their pastor for counseling. And uh, they had gone into the, uh, the, uh, uh, the office there. They're sitting, uh, they're talking. Uh, a fight breaks out as it can often do in a marriage counseling session. Uh, and the woman reaches into her purse and pulls out a gun and shoots her uh, husband in the arm. My question at that point would be, uh, now, uh, where would you guys like to go from here? Will you forgive him? Will you let this go? I had an appointment recently. The couple made it to the door of my office, no further. I'm sitting in my office waiting for them to come in. They, they uh, uh, make it to the door of my office. I can see them through there. Uh, they get in an argument and both storm away. On the one hand, I thought, praise the Lord. 
Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Everyone has their horror stories, counseling sessions that originated in hell. That's where they came from. Problems you have never heard about or read about. The most creative, demon-possessed fiction writer could not make up what you're listening to. I think some of these things, if you record them, can be sent off to Hollywood. They make a great, you know, Stephen King uh, uh, feature. Joe Campbell, Pastor Campbell, was sitting in the session we did on Tuesday on pastoral counseling, and the, most of it was uh, pastors uh, uh, asking questions about their particular situation. I happen to notice Joe uh, just sitting back there. He, he's looking like he's being entertained. Afterward, he said, uh, Brother Stephen, that was better than television, listening to those questions. You've had the experience of sitting at your desk, very reverential, very pastoral, very authoritative, and you are listening to a scenario that is unbelievable. Inside, you are flipping out. You have no answer, no reference point to resolve this. You're just simply trying to figure out a way to get out of this. But on the outside, you have to look like you've heard all this before. But inside. So we've all had those experiences. And so what I want to talk about here is some of the boundaries. In sports, there are three components that dictate how the game is going to be played. There are boundaries that are, if it's, if it's a football, it's the uh, uh, markations of the field, the size of the end zone, the way the field is lined up, baseball uh, has their boundaries, etc. There are boundaries and then there are rules uh, that govern how the game is played. Then there's a, uh, a clock that uh, determines the time. Uh, what I want to do today is talk about some of the boundaries because, uh, uh, you know, as soon as you uh, think that you've 
figured out uh, how to counsel every situation. Something happens, it throws everything into turmoil. It's like the fellow who said, before I got married, I had six principles on raising children. Now I'm married, I have six children and no principles. So I'm not going to try to be specific. I'm going to be general uh, and just talk about some of the boundaries uh, that the chaos needs to happen within. The first one uh, is that counseling has to be based on truth and reality. It's great when people come with the right heart. With an honest heart, they're looking for guidance, they're looking for a solution, and they solicit your help. But so many times, counseling is not that. There are all kinds of things at work that are under the surface, just like our text articulates for us. There is a woman here with a hidden agenda. She is not being honest, although she is trying to present a lie as truth. I know that would never happen in your ministry. But to King Solomon, it happened. This woman is trying to present a lie as truth, and she wants the king to back her up. She is very capable of doing this. She is very able to present this to the point where Solomon has probably been in these circumstances before and been made desperate and didn't know what to do. And here it is again. A hidden agenda is at work. Someone is there to manipulate the pastor or the king and trying to get an answer that will back up her agenda. Not everything in counseling is cut and dry. Not everything is obvious, as is the case in our text. There are so many times you're going to get in a he said, she said circumstance. In our text, there are no eyewitnesses. There's no way to corroborate what either of them is saying. And unless you are God himself, how are you going to know? How are you going to resolve? And yet you are expected to do that very thing. Had a married couple some time ago that came. There was an accusation by the wife that uh, her husband uh, had an eye for another woman and may even be seeing another woman. He said, she said, two absolutely different scenarios and two completely different stories. No way for me to discern. And so I dismissed in a word of prayer. And what happened was that the next day, uh, uh, the woman called me back and said, Pastor, what happened was uh, I was just angry with my husband uh, about something that had happened the day before. And I saw him talking uh, with a colleague at work. And I drew these conclusions. uh, And I know that I was wrong. And again, so often, and you get yourself in a situation that is not based on truth. It is not based on reality. And there are so many people that come and they're fixated on how they would like things to be. This one woman did not want her baby to be dead. But that's in fact what defines her reality. Tragic, heartbreaking, but you have to come to grips with what's really happening in your life. And sometimes counseling is about presenting the way that we would like things to be. I would like my husband to do thus and such. Well, the reality is, the truth is, the facts are, and we live in such a fantasy-driven culture, 
that people very quickly will gravitate and the boundary is that you have to draw, you have to reel people into truth and reality and bring that to bear. I know how you would like things to be. I wish they were that way too, but they aren't. We're here to deal with reality and to bring truth to bear upon the circumstances that are playing out in your life. The second boundary is that you have to exercise at least some control over the environment. There is such a thing as the runaway counseling session. Pastor, I just need about maybe 90 seconds of your time. Oh, did I say 90 seconds? I meant 90 minutes. I am so sorry. Long, drawn-out explanations with too much history, trafficking in the irrelevant, the runaway counseling session. It should be stated to the person, just the facts, ma'am. Let's keep this reduced to what the problem is and those points that relate to that problem. And in counseling, almost every time you have to guide people to stay on point. Some of what they might say is important, but much of it is not important. It is not relevant. It is irrelevant. They want to gush. They haven't talked about this for so long. But one of the realities is that the counseling session can become run away and you end up in confusion not knowing why they came and what on earth you're going to do to bring some answer to their dilemma and their problem. Pastor Warner years ago gave me a piece of wisdom in the runaway counseling session when you can see that this person has just shifted from first gear into overdrive and this pedal to the metal they're going to carry this and drag this as long as they possibly can that you stop them in their diatribe and you say okay what is your question how can I help you in the text the king listens to the problem and comes to a point where he says okay that's enough He reiterates what has been said, uh, that he moves to the solution. And again, not everything is that cut and dry. I'm talking about a boundary, uh, a general principle. uh, What's the problem? uh, What is your question? uh, And you have to carve away uh, uh, and reduce uh, the discussion to what actually is relevant uh, so that it doesn't become a runaway counseling session. And the trap is that people quite often want you to make their decisions for them. We gave out an article in the uh, counseling session called uh, The Pitfalls in Pastoral Counseling. If you didn't get one of those, uh, uh, you weren't at the session, you ought to get one of those. It has some tremendous insight. And one of the uh, comments made here in this uh, uh, article on the pitfalls of uh, pastoral counseling is... uh, uh, allowing an overdependency relationship to develop uh, is the mousetrap into which many pastors fall into uh, in their attempts to help people. An individual comes and their neurotic mechanisms uh, often are so finely adjusted to evoke a, a take-care-of-me feeling in their pastor that he may unconsciously do such things as allowing the relationship to persist to an inordinate degree. He may have an innate inner need to feel important, which makes him a sitting duck. The emotional radar 
of persons in apparent distress is a sharply tuned instrument that probes unerringly for the fountain of support most easily tapped in the pastor. And probably the first indication of this tendency is the counselee's attempt to get the counselor to give them advice and in that transferring his own responsibility for making a decision to their pastor. You have to avoid that. You are not there in counseling sessions necessarily to tell people what to do or to even give them advice. We do give advice, but sometimes that is not our role. Solomon in our text is not giving any advice. He is simply making the truth apparent and a decision is made and a judgment is rendered without him saying hardly anything. And so often in a counseling session, uh, you can ask the question, well, sister, uh, what do you think the Bible says? And I know it's not all cut and dry and easy like this, but I'm just giving an example. Uh, What does the Bible say about this circumstance? Uh, And once you discern what the Bible says, uh, then you ask the person, what do you think you should do then? And quite often they'll give you the answer themselves. Uh, The truth becomes apparent to them. Uh, When you fall into the trap uh, of giving advice or telling people what to do, uh, you can create an over-dependency relationship and you'll have the same people uh, coming to you uh, service after service uh, and they'll make inordinate numbers of phone calls uh, depositing upon you every dilemma, every problem, every issue in life. You cannot allow a counseling session to digress into emotionalism. Everything today is about feelings. And you end up counseling apart from the Word of God and being diverted. Once you get in an emotional exchange, you end up diverting from addressing the issue at hand. Women, when they come for counseling, they want to emote. And they want you to emote back. They want an emotional contact. They want an emotional exchange. And the woman comes for this. And if you emote back, Just the facts, ma'am. Sergeant Friday was not the touchy-feely kind of a guy. If you emote back to an inordinate degree, you can be sympathetic, and I understand that, but if you emote to an inordinate degree and touch that emotional uh, 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 wellspring in this uh, woman's life, uh, you are either dead right then and there, or you are releasing something that is destructive uh, and is not very helpful. Sometimes... uh, Uh, A woman will ask for an appointment for that purpose. They don't want to talk uh, in a public setting at the altar. They want an appointment uh, because they want a closed session uh, where they can emote. They have your entire attention. uh, And again, if you emote back, sometimes uh, uh, women are emotionally starved in their life. They don't have uh, the ability to communicate. uh, And so they want to use you for that purpose. Uh, Whether you can actually help them or not, a lot of times is irrelevant to them. I've had occasions where, standing at the altar, Pastor, I need to make an appointment with you. Some women will say that. Standing at the altar, and I'll say, well, what's the problem? What can I help you with? Maybe we... So she'll ask me a question, I'll start talking to her. But while I'm talking to her, one eyeball is on a rebel talking to some new converts over here. Got one eyeball on that. My other eyeball is on a fornicator that I wanted to catch before the end of the service, and they're making their way out. One arm is trying to get the attention of a disciple to go get them. 
My other arm is reaching for one of my grandsons who's running uh, back and forth behind me. Uh, and this frustrates the, this woman. Pastor, I just want to emote, uh, and I want you to be emotional with me here. Uh, maybe, maybe I just don't feel like you really want to talk to me right now. No, you've got my, both my ears, as you can see, are not moving in any direction. <laughs> this is called uh, pastoral multitasking. <laughs> I know it looks a little confusing to you uh, or to the naked eye, but I, I, I've done this before. I know what I'm doing. Just keep talking. I had a hernia operation the other few months ago. I don't know if anyone here needs one. I don't want to discourage you, but the pain was excruciating. I felt like I'd been shot by a 357 Magnum. And so about three days after the operation, I'm still in agony. I can barely walk. And I go to my doctor, and I'm feeling sorry for myself. And I sit down, you know how they put you in office? They got about 25 offices. They don't tell you that. They got, a, they got a maze and they got people in every office and they're going from one to the other. When they call you in, uh, uh, you know, behind outside of the waiting room, it's still going to be an hour before they get to you. So I go in there and I'm in pain. I've taken some pain pills, but it is not helping. And so he walks in and I'm trying to emote to this man. I want his sympathy. I want you to know what you've done to me. And I'm telling him, I'm saying, Doc, you got to, th this is painful. I'm hurting, man. This is bad. He said, well, what did you expect? I cut a four-inch slice in your stomach, shoved your guts back through, sewed a patch in, and then sewed you back up. Uh, this is what happens. He made a few pokes at it and walked out of the office. He hurt my feelings. But can you imagine if that's, this doctor emoted with every person in pain that came into his office? He'd be a basket case by the end of the day. This guy knows exactly what he's doing. The third boundary here is that you have to have some safeguards. You have to protect yourself in counseling situations and counseling circumstances. Uh, circumstances uh, and in some cases there's an incredible lack of wisdom uh, when it comes to this. You have to protect yourself first of all uh, from compromising circumstances or compromising situations uh, and I want to say this to you as a warning uh, and it is a warning that a lot of pastors won't hear. Uh, they will just continue to uh, uh, function how they are functioning uh, uh, because they've been doing it so long and nothing wrong has happened. Uh, but I want to say to you that your ministry uh, can come to a screeching halt if you don't have the proper safeguards in place because all you need is an accusation from the wrong person when there were just the two of you in an office to bring your ministry in jeopardy for you to lose credibility because once you start defending yourself against an accusation where there are no witnesses, you are at a disadvantage in life. There are certain people that you cannot counsel alone. One is women. Under no circumstances should a pastor counsel a woman on his own 
because you put yourself in a vulnerable situation. The vast majority of women we talk to are fine. There are no problems. But there may be the one who has an agenda. There may be the one who is driven by sin and wickedness. And she is looking for a solo counseling session with anybody. And in that arena, your ministry can come to a screeching halt. Because if something happens, or even if nothing happens and she says that something happened, you are in very serious trouble. And somewhere along the way in our fellowship, it became acceptable to counsel women alone as long as there's a window in the office or the door or the door is open. And the idea is, well, they can see what's going on. They may be able to see what's going on, but they cannot hear what is going on. And when you're counseling a woman... You have to have someone there. It can be your wife in that circumstance. You don't have your wife involved in counseling in general. But in some circumstances, it involves a woman. Your wife can be there. A councilman member can be there that is trustworthy. Or one of the staff of the church, an assistant. But not only does what happens in the office need to be seen, but it needs to be heard. So that nothing can be twisted. This is a necessary safeguard. You can go through your whole ministry counseling women alone and have not one single problem. But there has been enough. You need to hear what I'm saying now. There have been enough situations in our fellowship so that the alarm bells have gone off now and Pastor Mitchell has made a determination. No more counseling women alone and no more being in a session with a woman when what is being said cannot be heard by witness. It's a safeguard. You cannot counsel rebels and troublemakers alone. You're setting yourself up for serious problems. Rebels and troublemakers are not honest people. And they may even take exact quotes that you said. They'll put it in a different context. They have their allies who will say to them, what do the pastors say? What do the pastors say? What do the pastors say? And because they're driven by rebellion and they are a troublemaker, they will twist and you're putting yourself at a real disadvantage when talking to a rebel or a troublemaker in your church. Someone needs to be present. And then I'll just throw this in. A couple of points here to make is that you never counsel uh, one person in a marriage, in a marriage counseling session uh, by themselves. Whenever a woman comes or a man comes and pastor, uh, I want to talk to you about my marriage, uh, and they start in, I'll stop them and say, uh, what you're saying to me needs to be heard by your wife. Uh, this is a waste of time. Uh, go talk to her uh, and, uh, uh, and get her to come with you, uh, and then I will have a discussion. Because you can listen to a wife or a husband by themselves all day long. Uh, you will waste your time, uh, and you will never accomplish any anything as far as resolving whatever those marriage problems are. The other issue is where counseling takes place. The best place is at the altar after service. 90 plus percent of all counseling can be done there. Pastor Mitchell even said in our session on Tuesday that rarely does he have an office uh, counseling session. Uh, there are certain uh, requirements uh, that make that necessary, uh, but the vast majority, even if someone says, Pastor, I need to make an appointment with you, uh, you just simply ask, as I said, uh, what's your question? What's the problem? Uh, and most of the time, you can take care of it right there uh, in just uh, uh, a few minutes. Sometimes you have to counsel at the office. Uh, you never counsel someone in their home. In the scripture, the Bible says these two women went to the king. 
He didn't go from door to door because when you step into someone's home, you're on their turf. You're at a disadvantage from the beginning. No counseling should take place in someone's home. It is at the altar or at the office. I want to close by talking to you about our resources. It is part of the supernatural equipping that God gives pastors in order to adequately and skillfully minister. Solomon knew exactly what he needed. He said, I need an understanding heart. That means I need the ability to listen with intelligence. I need understanding beyond my life experience. And that's what pastors need. I don't have sufficient life experience uh, that out of the well of my life, sometimes I do, and experience is a great thing. uh, But sometimes I am at a loss, uh, and I need a supernatural equipping uh, that will give me insight. And if I don't get that, uh, I will call someone who might be able to help me. I need an understanding heart to judge your people. That means to render a judgment or to come to some kind of conclusion. And then he said that I may discern between good and evil. That is a separate, uh, that is rather a supernatural ability. When you have all of these things trafficking in a counseling session, you've got hidden agendas, you've got motives, you've got efforts to manipulate that somehow by God's ability and equipping, and the Bible says that this came to Solomon in prayer, in relationship with God, asking God, and the Bible says that God gave this to him. And I close with this verse, and God gave Solomon wisdom and exceeding great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Thus Solomon, Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of the, all the men of the east and the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men. His fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke a thousand proverbs. His songs were a thousand and five. And men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, the wisdom that God gave him in prayer, the wisdom that came as revelation. And I just want to close by saying that this is a necessary and a valid part of ministry. You ought to be praying and asking God to help you because it serves as a tremendous compliment to our preaching ministry. Whatever we do at the pulpit, this serves as a tremendous compliment and a necessary element in our ministry. Amen. Let's praise the Lord as pastor comes. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.